This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the owl, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. The seance went bad and she was actually attacked instead of the medium that was controlling the seance. She was thrown like from one room into another. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in from Los Angeles, California. Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more with your hosts, Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shan, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tejada. Let's go! Hey, I'm Leo. I'm Trevor. And I'm Lauren. And we're, we're the, the Boo Crew! Welcome to episode 72. If you're listening to this at time of release every weekend all throughout October, in addition to our regular Tuesday release, we'll be attempting to bring you episodes dealing with subjects like the paranormal and true crime with the Boo Crew's Freaky Fridays. We will be doing even more episodes like these moving forward, even after October, as we know it's something you are passionate about, as are we. So we hope you enjoy this weekend, we are joined by the incredibly awesome couple, Jen and Corey Heinzen, who recently got the keys to their new home out in Rhode Island, the real-life farmhouse that inspired the movie The Conjuring. And you will hear that strange things started happening immediately. It's a tale of seances gone wrong, apparitions, and more. Listener discretion is advised. Envision yourself in a halo of glowing white light. It will protect you. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining us via the Speakeasy studio is a couple with a fascinating story who quite literally hold the keys to what has become one of the world's most infamous properties. From Harrisville, Rhode Island, we are honored to welcome Corey and Jen Heinzen to the show. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah. Woo! Thank you for having us. To get things going, tell us about why people might already be familiar 
familiar with your home. Apparently, there was a movie made about the house, so I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all saw the Amityville movie. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously referring to 2013, James Wan's film, The Conjuring, that has now spawned like an eight-film franchise and more movies still on the way. So let's go briefly over your backgrounds. Just retired from the military back in 2013. I've actually been pursuing the paranormal ever since. Because while I was in the service, I really don't have any time off to do anything like this. So luckily, my wife was all about getting me out of the house still. Would that be something the two of you started doing together? does it a whole lot more than I do. We have some local places close to us that I've investigated with him before, and I've traveled a few times, but not as far as he has. What can you tell us about the haunted history of the home itself that you guys now have? All right. First and foremost, Bathsheba has nothing to do with this house. Really? Okay. As much as the storyline and everything that's cool about it, she had nothing As far as our research, people we've talked to, all of that, she has nothing to do with this home whatsoever. I won't say it's complete fabrication. I don't know where it came from. It's unfortunate because this poor woman's life has been... Her grave has been vandalized more times than we can count, and yet we can't find any type of evidence saying that she was yeah. ever actually here. Just the movie. I mean, somebody has something that we haven't found, maybe, but we've done a lot of research, and we can't find anything to tie the two together. Yeah, I mean, it makes a cool story, don't get me wrong. For those who aren't familiar with that legend, what were people saying about this person named Bathsheba? This is going back to like the 1800s now. The house is built in like 1736, so this would be in the 1800s, apparently, this story had occurred, right? Bathsheba Sherman was actually supposedly a nanny, if you will, also a witch, and uh, she apparently practiced black magic, and she sacrificed her children to the devil and made a pact with the devil to curse this land since it was taken from her. And then she hung herself, and that's the story they went with. Hollywood was a great villain. She lived until her 70s, and she died of a... Uh, I believe it was a stroke, if I'm not mistaken, at home. Yeah. So, again, you guys like went and tried to see if any of this was true, and there's really no proof to back it up. It's just lore at this point. Right. We can't find any evidence of any sort. There's one picture that's floating around on a lot of websites with a... Says it's her, and it's not. ...circles in a picture, but we can't find any pictures of her other than that, so there's nothing to even go by to indicate whether that's her or somebody else. So my uh, understanding is is, uh, you've become friends with Andrea Perrin, who was the youngest daughter of the Conjuring family, right? Of the Perrin family, correct? She was the oldest. Oh, the oldest, excuse me. Talking it over with her, was it ever discussed why Bathsheba's name came up? It's weird because the story that we received from Andrea was that was the name of their dog. Carolyn Perrin, who is the mother, named their dog just on a whim when she picked up the puppy and they thought of a name. The name Bathsheba, which is a religious name, just came to her head and that was the name of the dog. Now, how that tied into this other woman that lived down the road well, I think it came from from stuff that I found online. Lorraine Warren thought that maybe that's what was haunting the house. Now, whether that came from Carolyn thinking that as well and talked to Lorraine about it and they thought that together, I'm not sure. But somehow that's where it started is when Ed and Lorraine Warren came into the house. How does Mary Estes connect to this story? We found no connection with Mary Estes. Mary Estes was obviously one of the witches that was hung back in Salem. But there's no connection to Bathsheba and her or any connection with the house like that witch. 
we've been able to pull up, like we've pulled up deeds and everything like that. We can't find any connection. So it sounds like it was all fictionalized for the movie. A lot of the movie was fictionalized. The ending that actually happened here compared to Hollywood is like very, very different. And you get a lot of that from... Yeah. Um, Andrea's book, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Andrea's books uh, being uh, House of Darkness, House of Light, correct? Yep. Yep. I think in, in, in one of the books, I can't remember which one, which the uh, the mom, Carolyn Perrin, had an experience where apparently she was so traumatized by it that she's never spoken about it for like the rest of her life. I believe that's correct, yeah. We've met a lot of the Perrin family, but we have not met the mother. And just to briefly go over, for those who don't know, the Perrin family, they moved into this house in the 70s with their five daughters. They stay there for about 10 years. Andrea chronicles the events of what happened through her book trilogy, The House of Darkness, House of Light, that we were just mentioning, and they ended up contacting Ed and Lorraine Warren to help them out with what was going on in the house. So what sorts of things were happening to the Perrin family? There's where there's kind of a, a screw up because the Perrin family, actually, Carolyn Perrin reached out to a team from Rhode Island called Pyro. And Pyro was headed up by Carl and Keith Johnson from Ghost Hunters back when they were young pups, like 18 years old. And they investigated two or three times before the Warrens were even brought in on the case. And the only reason they were brought in on the case was because Carl himself said they were in over their heads with what they were experiencing. As far as the experiences, they were playful stuff at first, you know, like just like little, like you set a pen down here and then you come back and it's gone. Doors opening and closing, footsteps when there's no kids in the house, children's laughter and stuff like that. And it was it was very playful, but then it started to get aggressive, going after Carolyn, bruising her up and stuff like that. Like the movie says, seeing a black mist, shadow people, that's when it started like actually doing more of the attacks and stuff like that. And that's where it shifts from the Hollywood ending to the real world ending. Not a lot of people know about it. So so when the Warrens uh, came into the picture, it sounds like it was a very different experience than what we saw in the movie. To my understanding, the Warrens came in to kind of like oversee everything and give help where it was needed. I won't say Pyro was kind of like shut out, but they kind of took control of the situation because it was kind of over Pyro's head from what Carl and them were saying. But then it led to a seance being conducted in the house. And Carolyn Perrin, that might be what she's talking about, the experience that she had that she doesn't want to talk about. I mean, I don't know, and I'm not saying that's what it is, but the seance went bad, and she was actually attacked instead of the medium that was controlling the seance. She was thrown, like, from one room into another. So how did you guys end up finding out about this house becoming available, and what was that process like? The weird story about that was probably a year prior, I was down here with my friend Bill Brock, and we were at uh, the Ocean State Paracon, which is actually here in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The guy that runs the Paracon was telling us about the house and this, this, that, and the other. He gave us directions to it, so we drove by, and we were looking at it, and I'm like, wow, that's that's because American history, paranormal history this. And uh, I joined a group on Facebook that talks about looking into the history of all these cases, you know, the Warren's case files, Hans Holder and all those people. All of a sudden, just I want to say it was like the end of April and it was like the most random post. And it just said the Conjuring House is going up for sale. And it was posted like 15 minutes prior. And this was like at four o'clock in the morning. I made some phone calls to people I knew 
that knew the realtor and found out whether or not she was posting it. And in fact, she was posting it. And I just asked if it was possible if we could sit down with her to see the inside of the house. And that's where it went. Here we are. (laughs) In terms of the realtor, I'm always curious, obviously, he or she, they know the history of the house, right? Are they believers or skeptics in terms of the experiences there? She never really talked about it, the realtor. First time we came here, the realtor wasn't even here. We met with the owner and she was against it, like talking about stuff like that. And whether that was from her personal experiences, dealing with trespassers and stuff like that. I I don't know. We understood what the house was and that was it. Do you live in a state where things like haunted houses have to be disclosed? I believe there is a stigmatic law here. It's one of those things that if the house was actually used for the purposes of making money off the fact of it being possibly haunted, like it was, like this was on an episode of Ghost Hunters back in 2005. A lot of people didn't realize that, but it wasn't known as a conjuring house at the time. It was, it was known as the owner's, re- you know, her last name as the residence. What do you think the reason for the paranormal activity is? What's your theory on why things are happening in this house? I think it's probably because there's so much history here. Is it just the house that's haunted or is it the surrounding area, like the woods? The land and everything. I mean, we've had a few experiences outside the house. This whole area, I guess, was like really, really crazy during the King Phillips War. So there was a lot of death and stuff going on around here. The land itself is just stigmatized. We also sit on a giant aquifer, which is like a giant cavern of mineral water that we're sitting on. That helps with energy. We have a well downstairs in the basement. Wow, that's like so creepy. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, it's like ring creepy. Is the water clean though or is it tainted? It is clean, but they just suggest not to drink it because um, whenever we have it sprayed for uh, pests and stuff like that, all that insecticide and stuff, it seeps into the into the ground and it can contaminate the water, they said. Was the intention when you guys bought the property always to inhabit the property or was it something you wanted to just investigate? What was kind of the intention there? We wanted to live here. I've gone to so many locations and paid so much money going to places and never heard a pin drop. And this place, like if you saw it, it's beautiful. It's eight and a half acres. We got a river that runs through the backyard. We got a pond. I mean, all this stuff that you would think you'd find up in Maine, but we found down in Rhode Island. It's weird. Is there a certain space in the house or the barn that's the most active? Spots that are definitely most active, one of which is one of the bedrooms upstairs. How do we explain The easiest way to explain it is we get flashing lights. Not UFO kind of stuff, but if somebody was standing in the corner with like the old school flash bulbs and they would take a few pictures or whatnot, it's just bright flashes like that. And we'd see that like two or three times and then you see this blue it looks almost like a a blue lightning bug and it'll float along and then all of a sudden it'll dissipate and then you'll hear like a small pop we'll get that upstairs all the time we've caught it on camera like nobody can explain to us because it's not coming from a light source it's just coming out of like it's in the corner then it's in the door frame and then it's in the closet and then like out of pure darkness this is just appearing How long before once you moved in did you start to see evidence of paranormal activity? And how did that make you feel? Were you excited? Like, yes, it's actually real. Well, we had doors opening and closing day one. It was exciting. It still is exciting. So far, we haven't had any experiences that have 
scared Corey or I enough to not come back. There'll be days where nothing happens at all, especially at night. And then there'll be days where it's very active. We're still in the excited phase. Is it mostly active during the nighttime hours or during the day? Both. It's hard to distinguish it because if you're just going about your business during the day, sometimes you won't notice it unless you just sit there and you take your time and you just take it all in and all of a sudden you'll notice a shadow or you'll notice a black mist or something like that. We've caught things even on camera during the day and we've heard stuff with our own ears during the day and I'd say it's just as much during the daytime as it is at nighttime. It's nice because you can almost sleep. As paranormal investigators with technology and EVP and spirit boxes and all that stuff, have you taken that stuff out and started to investigate the property in that respect yourselves? Oh, God, yeah. We got the whole house hooked up like Big Brother. We got 12 cameras inside the house, nine cameras outside the house. They're recording 24 hours a day. Is there like a live feed somewhere or where can we see these videos? (laughs) We had talked about doing that. Yeah, a a lot of people have been asking. Unfortunately, with Ghost Adventures documentary that they did, we can't release any videos or pictures or anything like that until after Halloween. Gotcha. Yeah, that's talking about on the Travel Channel. Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures team were up there doing an investigation. That must have been pretty exciting. It was very exciting. That was fun. I'm surprised uh, Zach hasn't offered to buy the property already. (laughs) (laughs) I think if it were closer, he would have. Yeah, I think where he bought Manson's place, that kind of took priority. Yes, that's right. Yeah, we... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline heard about that up here. Are there any interesting relics or signs left behind of past investigations in the 70s or things that kind of corroborate with the legends and stories that you've heard of, of the past of that property? The one creepy thing that we have found is down in the basement. There's a box down in the basement that apparently was here while there was a daycare here. And there's pictures drawn on the inside of what appears to be a woman with a crooked neck with her tongue sticking out. Oh, gosh. And that was one of the stories that some of the parent children, and I believe, was it Carolyn or Roger? One of the two said that they would see a woman with a broken neck with her tongue sticking out. I think it was just a girl. I believe Roger said he always saw her as, as a woman, never with a crooked neck or never like that. I think the girls, the children saw her like that. Well, have you ever seen this bent neck lady? I'm thinking like Haunting <laughs> of Hill House. Have you ever seen this figure? The only thing we've seen is a shadow figure. That was pretty intense. That's probably the most intense thing I've seen here so far at night. We both saw it at night, which was kind of cool that both happened to week. It was just a straight out black figure just kind of peeked its head in the doorway and like was gone. It was weird. I say it's a Beetlejuice moment because it came out from the side of the door. It was like straight sideways from where I was looking and I just saw shoulders and a head and I was like, what the hell is that? And I didn't even realize Jen was awake and she's like, tell me you're seeing this right now. And I'm like, I was trying not to crap my pants. Kudos to you guys for staying there because I would be gone. (laughs) I'm curious about running those spirit boxes and things. Have there been any messages or voices that have told you anything? Oh, God, yes. There was a really good one after Ghost Adventures left. Yeah, we can't really. (laughs) Apparently, they didn't like uh, the host too much. I called him by name. Like, I want to 
send it to them, but apparently it's not easy to get a hold of the guy. The EVP sessions are really, really good. We get a voice downstairs that says that Mrs. Roger. Roger's the dad that lived in the home, Roger Perrin. And I feel like actually the house is more active when certain people leave. People that have come to the house and Roger comes to the house, when he leaves, it's pretty active. And when Carl Johnson's been at the house before, a few times, whenever he leaves, the house gets pretty active. In the past, previous owners of the property, as you were saying, they've been outspoken about dispelling anything strange about the property. They're getting inundated by trespassers. There's a Warner Brothers lawsuit that happened back in 2015. How have you guys turned it around and kind of embraced its paranormal history? And what are your intentions moving forward with the place? Well, I give Norma a lot of credit because in the beginning, I thought it wouldn't be so bad for us. We're younger and we're pretty excited about sharing the house with people, but we've had a lot of, I don't want to say experiences with people trespassing already, but even to the point where without going into too much detail, like it's a lot more than what we expected it would be. Some people are pretty brutal. Some people have been super nice. We've been welcomed by a lot of people, but not by everybody. And I give Noma a lot of credit because it's definitely harder than I thought it would be. Moving forward, we're just trying to figure out how we can do it without being overrun because people are very excited, which we're excited that they're excited too. Now trying to figure out how to not have the town hate us and not have 600 cars going through the driveway all at the same time because we say we're open or we're just not really sure. We're working with a lawyer right now to figure out how we can... You can't make everybody happy, though. That's Right, yeah, that's for sure. It's definitely a lot harder. Is there an idea to turn the house into a museum or overnight stay uh, spot? We had thought that we could probably just open it up and let people come in like it's a museum, but I'm thinking... If we do it that way, we're going to have too many cars in the driveway all at once, and we've already seen that that's too difficult. There's no parking up on the road, and I wouldn't want people to park up there anyways. The cars are driving by way too fast, and I can see where it would annoy the neighbors because it would annoy me if cars were lined up on the side of the road, too. There's no parking here. There's no place for people to park. There's no... There's it's, no not about, it's not about parking. It's common sense. People don't have common sense. I've seen people stop in the middle of the road to get out to take pictures. They make no attempt to pull over or anything like that. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I'm like, I'm going to watch somebody get smacked by a passing car. Have you guys spoken to uh, Tony Spera and Judy, the daughter of um, and son-in-law of uh, the Warrens? We've talked to Tony. Uh, I haven't met Judy yet. Has there been any interest in having them over to uh, you know discuss the house or investigate or anything? Not as much that, just more along the lines of uh, trying to locate some, some information about the house and stuff like that. I don't know what's going on with the case files. Apparently they were there, now they're not there. Somebody bought them. I, I don't know. Would you ever be open to doing a seance in the house? No, I mean, we're open to... It's done correctly. Yeah, yeah. as long as it's done correctly, not just like fly-by-night people that play with Ouija boards and stuff. Have you ever taken out a Ouija board in your home? Yeah, the Ouija board doesn't work as well as we were hoping. There's no difference between a Ouija board and a spare box, at least in my opinion. A lot of people argue with us about it, and it's like you're still opening up doorways. A Ouija board, yeah, you're the conduit. Spare box, the radio is the conduit, but at the same time, you're still opening it up to whatever. In terms of uh, Corey versus Jen, which one of you have experienced more uh, paranormal activity? Definitely Corey. And Corey, like, what is the most creepiest thing that you've experienced? It doesn't necessarily have to be in your home, but just in your lifetime. I helped with an exorcism one time. It wasn't nothing like the movies. It wasn't nothing like what they do in Hollywood or anything. They just came a point where it just got quiet, like the hustle and bustle outside, the dogs barking, the birds chirping, everything just stopped. It was just like dead quiet. And I just got an over 
overwhelming sense that I was going to die and there was nothing I could do about it. And let's be clear, this was not in the house. Yeah, this wasn't here. Yeah. <laughs> this was, I was helping out some friends that actually do that for a living. So make that clear. Not people that just like, yeah, I can be an exorcist. No, that, that's what they do. And was it successful? To my knowledge, it, it was. I mean, I haven't heard nothing more on that case. Why did these people call for an exorcism? They were experiencing things that even their local priest wouldn't help them with. The couple that we went and helped, they became Catholics, like the whole nine, you know, and this went on for about a year and a half. They were dealing with it until finally, like, they knew, like, the church wasn't going to help them. So they reached out to a paranormal team. The paranormal team reached out to my friends. My friends came up from Connecticut all the way up to Maine to conduct this exorcism. Can you describe uh, what you witnessed during this uh, ritual? I never knew that it can pass between people. We were dealing with a boyfriend and a girlfriend. It can willingly jump between the boyfriend and girlfriend at any time. So where the priest was taking care of the boyfriend, we had the girlfriend out in the kitchen talking to her, trying to keep her calm and stuff. And all of a sudden she started, her feet started to swell up. Like the body starts to retain, like, I didn't know this. There's no like guide to it, but her feet started to swell up. And then she started getting like these weird, like markings, not markings, excuse me. They, they seem like scratches, but where the scratches started from, it almost looked like pinholes scratches. And when you get a scratch from something that's paranormal, it's more of a flash burn. It's not a scratch like where you see like the dog jumps up and scratches you when it's red. It's actually white and then it's red on the outside. So she started displaying stuff like that. And uh, I brought it up to the psychic and she's like, okay, we're going to bring her down to the other end of the house and try to, you know, try to get her out of this France, if you will. So we brought her down there. And I mean, her feet, I thought they were going to explode. They were changing color because they were retaining water. I'm freaking out, trying to keep calm. But at the same time, I'm like, I've never experienced anything like this. So finally, she was like, okay, let's bring her down and we'll start the ritual on her and give the boyfriend some time off. So we stood her up and I was trying to walk her down the hallway. We got to the doorway and she just stopped. And she was like straight-legged, her arms straight out. I mean, she was like maybe 110 pounds soaking wet. And I'm like, all right, come on. Like, I'm gently like pulling on her arms because like she's obviously a frail person. And I'm like, come on. And I'm trying to pull and she's not moving. She, like, literally, she's not moving. So I'm like, okay, this is stupid. So I pulled her a little bit harder. She still didn't budge. And I'm like, all right, it's kind of embarrassing at this point. I'm a big guy. I'm 260 pounds. I should be able to move this thing. And she's not moving. So I'm like literally like yanking on her without, you know, trying to yank her arms off. And finally the psychic came up beside her and put her hand on her shoulder. And just as she put her hand on her shoulder, you just, you felt her like all loosen up and stuff. And she was able to take that step out into the hallway. Was there any kind of conclusion on what exactly had taken up residence in these people? I don't want to say demonic because that's so cliche, but they were messing with the Ouija board. She was a beautiful young girl. He was a nerdy, dorky kid. And he was like, I will make a deal with the devil if, you know, if I can keep her happy, just keep her around. And that's exactly how it went. And it sounded so cliche at the time. And I was like, go figure. They didn't have the Ouija board. They had burnt the Ouija board. So they couldn't close the session properly. So would you be interested in getting involved in helping more exorcisms after doing one yourself? To be honest with you, like it scared the crap out of me. But at the same time, it's fascinating. And the 
thing is, is that there's so many, you talk about, you know, mental illness and stuff like that. And you just never know what you're truly dealing with until you're there. You know, I've been on many cases that people are like, oh, it's demonic. And you go in there and they're just, they got more prescriptions than a pharmacy. And it's like, you know, seriously, it's scary. You know, ghosts don't scare me. People scare me. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I've seen that on a shirt. So, Corey, uh, Jen, so now, not just with this case, with this exorcism, but now that you're living in this house, this infamous house, how do you protect yourselves from something that might be out there demonic or some malicious, uh, you know, entity? I don't know. I guess I really don't know how to protect myself. I We have lots of friends within the field. My friends back home think it's funny that I have a code word that they ask me to make sure that I'm not possessed. So as long as I know this code word, then they feel like I'm safe enough. But once in a while, they'll text it to me and they tell me I have to delete the text so that I can't go back and read it. But I feel like we have a lot of people that are well within this field that are always watching out for us. So, I mean, on one hand, I feel like everything we're doing is under a microscope because they want to make sure that we're okay. But on the other hand, it's a good feeling because we have enough people that are looking out for us that are, I feel like they know what they're doing. So we feel safe. Right. And I think that's probably the most important thing is that it doesn't seem to be that horrible feeling of fear or anything like that. It seems to be more of a positive experience, anything that is happening there, according to the stories and everything. Yeah. Our son, on the other hand, had an experience where he's seen this black mist that we've heard about from Andrea's stories. And I mean, it's different than the what Corey and I saw, but there's definitely a few people here that have seen a black mist that kind of floats around. He saw that in the middle of the night and he's 17 and I don't want to say he won't come back, but he doesn't like to spend the night. He's not loving it like he did in the beginning. That definitely scared him. Halloween night, you guys have an event, uh, a televised event, right? That was going to take place in your house? They came and filmed already. I'm, I'm not sure. I meant to go back and look on the advertisement that Ghost Adventures did in the beginning because I feel like a lot of people thought it was going to be a live event here, but it won't air until Halloween night, but it definitely won't be a live event. That'd be fun if they'd come back for two hours. That'd be kind of cool. But <laughs> <laughs> we haven't figured out our plans yet, but we would like to plan something for Halloween night. Corey, thank you so much for your service to our country. And I have uh, one question regarding that. While your time either being deployed or in the military somewhere, did you ever experience anything paranormal anywhere else besides uh, your, the current location? When I was stationed out in Virginia, we actually used to do uh, battlefield studies of Civil War battlefields. And we stayed out on a battlefield in Fredericksburg. It was either Massaponics or Fredericksburg. I can't remember which one it was. But what we would do is we would bivouac out there, like the whole platoon, and basically kind of like do like a camaraderie thing spend the night then the next morning we would do a tour with a tour guide and then we would walk and talk it and see how we would do things differently given our knowledge of the battle and stuff like that and the lay of the land and stuff with what we have available to us now anyways so probably about one two o'clock in the morning we are woken up by like gunfire and screams and cannon fire and stuff like that there's like 50 guys out there getting woken up by this and apparently it's just something that happens all the time and that was like my first real thing that happened you know that kind of got me into it because that's when he got hooked yeah the tour guide was like oh yeah it happens all the time he's like gettysburg antietam i was like what do you mean it happens all the time that's not normal (laughs) (laughs) you know that's like waking up you know there's no such thing as santa claus then you go downstairs and there's some fat guy under your tree (laughs) (laughs) and you're like what's going on (laughs) awesome you guys well Corey and jen we don't want to take up too much more of your time and uh listen thank you so much for spending this time with us on the phone it's a fascinating 
fascinating stories. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 72, and the first episode of our Freaky Fridays all throughout October. Special thanks to our guests, Jen and Corey Heinzen. Be sure to check out when Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventure crew does an investigation on The Conjuring House with the two-hour Ghost Adventures Halloween special airing on October 31st. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Tim Timebomb, Leone D'Antonio, Lauren and Trevor Shand, Austin Wilkin, and Rachel Tahada. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.